0: Welcome to episode number 235. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about choosing the best location for your garden and putting in new garden beds or new plants. Now, you may already have an existing vegetable garden. Maybe you're moving to a new location or maybe you're putting in a garden for the very first time. But regardless of that situation, even myself having two plus decades of having a vegetable garden and we're on our property, our current vegetable garden and our current property, we've been on here since 2006. So for 14 years, I have had my vegetable garden and it's been in the same spot and I'm not moving it. But usually... If you are a lifetime gardener, you are going to be wanting to put in some new plants. Maybe not some new plants. Maybe you're going to want to be putting in a new bed or two. So, this advice is going to behoove you really no matter which one of those categories that you fall into. Let me welcome you to the Pioneering Today podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, author best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, Grow and Raise a Year's Worth of Healthy and Sustainable Food for Your Family. I'm the founder of MelissaKNorris.com, as well as the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership site, where I take members through seasonally every month an aspect of growing and raising your own food, cooking and preserving it, and using herbs to create a natural, homegrown and handmade home, which we only open for new members a few times a year. But right now, if you are listening to this when it releases, you are gonna wanna get on the wait list for when we officially open the doors for new members February 19th. Because if you are on that wait list, you are going to be getting the resources, the videos, the tutorials that are normally for members only. So to go and find out more and to get your hands on that, go to melissaknorris.com forward slash wait list. Okay, let's get to it. One of the reasons that I would tell you, because at the time of this recording, we're actually at the tail end of January, but we're talking about the best location for your garden is because you can begin to track that information right now. In fact, it is going to make it easier if you have snow on the ground or you are getting frost. Now, if you live in a warmer climate and you're like, I don't ever get those things or hardly ever, I'll walk you through that as well. But the beauty of this is you can really begin to tell the warmest and coldest spots on your property and in your yard, as well as areas that don't have as good of drainage or are going to be spots where water will congregate when you have a lot of moisture, obviously either in snowfall or rainfall. During the summer months, when we're talking about our annual vegetable garden, but this applies to putting in herbs, perennials, fruits, all of those things. So, all of almost every piece of property, almost every home, every type of yard, regardless of how big or how small, has what I call, and if you have the family garden plan or you went through our planning your best garden ever challenge, then you are familiar with this term. But has micro zones or microclimates within your yard. So the four basic that most places have, no matter what, is going to be your eastern facing exposure, southern exposure, western exposure, and northern exposure. Now, the amount of these exposures that you have, some people have a lot more of southern exposure in their yard versus northern, et cetera, is going to vary. But almost all yards have these areas to a degree. And it's important that we know where they are when we're thinking of putting in new plants and new vegetable gardens or expanding. But the sun rises in the east. And that is going to be typically an area that gets the early morning sun when it's not quite as hot. But usually by mid to late afternoon, it's going into a more shaded area. Then you have your southern exposure. And this is going to be what gets the most of the sunlight. So you're going to get the majority of the hours of sunlight. It's going to be the hottest Place on your property is going to be your southern exposure. Now, most of our vegetables need at least a minimum of six hours of sunlight in order to grow properly. Then we move over to the west and our sun sets in the west. So that western exposure usually doesn't get direct sunlight early in the morning. But it does get it in mid-afternoon and then all the way until sunset, which, of course, in the middle of summer is going to be a lot longer than it is this time of year. And then we've got our northern exposure, which depending upon if it's really deep northern exposure or not, if you've got buildings with peaks or stuff like that, typically your northern exposure is going to get the least amount of sunlight. And if it does, it's going to be the weaker um, amount of sunlight as well. It's not going to be quite as intense. Now, within these, of course, you've got areas that overlap. So I have got my Western exposure, depending on if it starts to come to the Southern, where it's still a little bit West, but it's still getting some of the Southern. So you're going to have kind of these overlapping areas where you're going to get a little bit more of the climate or the hours of daylight and the heat compared to others. But plants for Western exposure, because that West, is where the sun is setting, I have the majority of my garden, because I'm in the Pacific Northwest and we're cooler, I try to take advantage of the southern and the western exposure. So I'm getting as much of that hot, direct heat and sunlight as possible. I do have some things that tolerate the shade or are more They don't like the heat quite so much, a little bit more cool weather and some of my perennial herbs that do well, for example, my sage and my mint and my chamomile, all of those do just fine in the eastern exposure because by the midday, they're not getting that direct hot sun anymore. It's kind of moved into the shade, but they're getting enough sunlight earlier in the day that they do just fine. I don't have very much at all growing in my northern exposure with the way our house is situated Um, For the northern exposure, it only gets at the end of the day in the middle of summer, the northern exposure part of our home, like the beds that are right up against the front of the house and where the peak is for shadow lines, it might only get one to two hours of direct light a day, which is not very much at all. So I don't really have any food crops in that area. But as you're looking to put in new garden beds, or you're looking to extend, And put plants in, or add more plants. It's really important that you kind of take this time to look at that and think about: Is this a heat-loving plant that's going to need more direct sunlight or more heat? Then I want to make sure it's in a southern exposure thing. But the other beautiful thing about going out and evaluating your property and looking at spots to put in new gardens or to put in new plants this time of year is you can really see, especially if you're getting heavy rains and or snowfall you can really see how your drainage goes. So you're going to see the low spots because obviously that's going to be your puddles form first or as the snow melts, you're going to see that that's where the runoff goes. And so it's important to know what those patterns are because you don't want to put plants that don't do well. There's some plants with the roots get really wet. They're more susceptible to root rot or they're going to rot. They're not going to be very happy. You would not want to plant those in any area of your yard that a lot of water will congregate in. I also like to look when we have a lot of water and watch the runoff. So to see, do I have water that's maybe coming from my neighbors or is there just an area where the water tends to run just following the natural ebb and flow of the land? Of course, we know water runs downhill, but sometimes you don't really realize how hilly a yard can be. It's not like these big, huge hills that we're like climbing up of But if you go out and really see, like I said, when you get some rain coming in or that snow melt, you'll really start to see where those puddles are. And it'll give you a much clearer picture than if you try to do it during a dry period or if you're just getting some little drizzles or not a whole lot of rain of what your water pattern is on your land. And that's going to help you make a better decision on where to plant things. The other thing I really like to consider when I'm doing a location for a garden and or specific containers or plants even that works so well this time of year is if you have snow and or frost or if you're in a warmer part of the country and you're still getting those heavy, a heavy dew or any type of dew really. Is you go out in the morning and see as it begins to warm up, either the snow begins to melt the frost begins to melt or the dew begins to dissipate in the daytime temperatures, where is the first spot that it is melting from if it's snow or frost or if it's dew where it's beginning to dry? Because there's always areas in a yard that it's going to melt first. So a lot of times you'll have what you call a frost line. So in the dead of winter, When you're having heavy frosts, even if it's sunny out during the day or it warms up during the day and that frost line, that shaded area, the frost never actually melts. So that's an indicator in those areas that that doesn't get obviously as much sunlight and it stays colder. And so you would not want to put plants in that area that are tender or even in the summertime that if they like a lot of heat, you still wouldn't want to really put them in those areas. But especially your perennials, if you've got perennials that don't do with extreme cold, then you would never want to plant them in those areas either, because the chances are that they're going to have a harder time coming back the next year if they're exposed to kind of like a permafrost area, even though I live in Washington State, we don't have permafrost. But you know what I mean, if they're in that frost line. So if you have extremely cold temperatures right now, or even the dew, going out in the morning is going to show you where the warm spots are first, and then the spots that never that the dew stays the longest, and the frost, et cetera, the snow, to give you an idea on where to plant things based on your property and the way that the temperatures in within the microclimates on your property exist. So for me, against the southern side of our home, even in the dead of winter, that's where snow and frost melts first. And I moved my rosemary plant. There, it used to die and it didn't come back every single fall that thing would die when i had it planted out in our regular vegetable garden which was the western and southern exposure but it was further out and it never came back it was too cold it was too exposed it would die and it wouldn't come back in the spring and summer then i got a rosemary bush and i potted it next to the house in deep southern exposure where the frost and the snow melted first. And that rosemary bush is now going on almost eight years. This coming summer, it will be eight years old. Same bush comes back every single year simply by changing the location of it. So that's why I say it's so important, especially even with perennials, that you kind of take the time to decide what is going to be the best location. And you can really go to get a good indication on that in the middle of winter. I've actually been spending time going out and kind of evaluating and checking this too, even though I have a pretty good handle on our property. Every season, I kind of like to go out and see, okay, I'm going to be adding in these things come spring. Where am I going to put them? And kind of just walking through this same process based on the plants. I'm looking at bringing in a lot more medicinal herbs than I have currently. In fact, I have a big old list of them, you guys. And a lot of them are perennials. I am loving bringing in perennials, especially within my herbal medicine. But um, even at just as much as obviously your fruits are perennials, too. The majority of them, I should say, your fruit trees and your berry bushes. And I do still grow quite a few annuals because there's a lot of annual vegetables and herbs that will only grow here as an annual or they're not even a perennial variety, but the more that I expand our herb garden and our medicinal plants, I am looking at bringing in perennials because they are just less work overall. I don't have to do as much planning with seed starting and reseeding and transplanting or direct sowing once they're there. There's usually Sometimes there's annual pruning depending upon the, the plant, if it's a bush or, or whatnot. But they're just so much easier and then they give us harvest for years to come. And not only am I expanding my herb garden just for my own use within my, obviously myself and my family, but within the Pioneering Today Academy, we are starting this spring an herbal deep dive where each month we do an herbal highlight where we really study an herb with growing it, harvesting it, and then the different ways to putting it to use within your natural medicine cabinet. And so... I have to have even more herbs in order to have one of those to highlight every month. This is when it's a great case (laughs) that your work uh, really gets to fuel your passion and maybe obsession, but we'll go with passion. I think that sounds just a little bit better, but I've been out scouting because some of the perennial herbs that I'm going to be putting in are actually uh, like a woody perennial bush That can get up to 15 feet, which is going to be a larger one. And that's the Vitex or Chaseberry, is it's commonly common name is awfully known as. And then other ones are more just flowers that come back every year, like valerian. Anyways, I'm getting so excited. I'm finalizing up my order because I need to get it ordered so I can get some of these seeds started because um, some of your not really with your vegetables, but when it comes into your flowers and or herbs, some of our herbs are flowers. As well, you have to have a cold stratification, and that's where the seed is kept at a certain temperature and also usually humidity level, too, but definitely a certain temperature for so many days and/or weeks in order for that seed to actually sprout and grow. And I'm going to be starting the majority of these actually from seed instead of buying a cutting or a plant one because I'm able to get a whole lot more that way because seeds are generally a lot less expensive than the live plants. So it's going to allow me to grow them from seed. And I'm really excited about that process. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And I can't wait to be back with you here on Friday for episode number 236, because we are going to be talking about growing food, but specifically In small spaces and talking about hydroponics. Many of you have told me that you would love to have more resources or more information on growing in containers or in a more urban environment so that you can get started with your food production even before you've gotten to move out to the country or a larger yard and you don't want to wait. And so I have got a great episode planned for you coming this Friday. So if you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure that you hit subscribe right now. So you don't miss a single episode. Thank you so much for joining me. And we'll be talking in just a few days.